If you would, please open your Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be looking this evening at a passage from chapter 2, specifically verses 13 through the end of the chapter in verse 20. And I would ask that you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. 1 Thessalonians 2, beginning at verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and displeased God and opposed all mankind, by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins." But wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy? Or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for His blessing upon it. Lord, we ask this evening that you would open up your word. For your word indeed, Lord, is life to us. Even as this passage teaches us, we are dependent upon your word to know who you are, to know what you have done, to know who we are, and how we might be justified, made right with you. Lord, we ask that you would fix our eyes upon the Savior, and that even as we study your word, we would see him. This we pray in Christ's precious name. Amen. What can we depend on in times of trouble? There are so many answers out in the world today. For every difficulty and challenge, there is a different answer. Some say that the answer is in politics, that we just need to pass the right laws, put the right people in office, that we need to force the United States to become a Christian nation. That that is the solution, politics. Well, for those who are not so given to that, another obvious answer comes from the world, and that is education. I don't think the time would avail us to talk about the number of times in which the number of politicians and professors and people have pled that all we just need is more and better education. As soon as we get that, all of our problems will be solved. We don't need to be desperate. 
We just need more education. Then there are others who plead that what we need is more personal strength. We need to be ready for the challenges. We need to be more physically fit. We need to be more mentally ready. It's all up to us. We need to be ready to meet the challenges of a modern, complex world. But for the believer, there's only one place to go. And that is to the Lord. And to go to the Lord, that means we need to listen to His voice. We need to hear His message. There are some who will today talk about God in a generic sense. And then they will tell you to rely on your own thoughts and efforts. But the truth is that what turned the world upside down was the Word of God. Paul was completely dependent on the Word because he believed that God had given it to empower his people. And so in this passage, we see three particular ways in which the world is powerful. First, the Word gives power to change. Second, the Word gives power in trials. And third, the Word gives power in building up relationships. Power to change, power in trials, and power in building relationships. Let's begin here by looking at what Paul says in verse 13. He begins our passage, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what at, as what it really is, the word of God. Paul knows the source of power. He's thankful to God. We also thank God. He goes to the Lord. The Lord is the source of Paul's life and power. The Lord is the source of the power of this congregation in Thessalonica. The Lord is the hope of his people. And it is a constant thankfulness you will see. Paul says, we give thanks without ceasing. What Paul means here is, at any time that his thoughts come upon the Thessalonians, at any time he thinks about what they have accomplished or what is going on in this church or what is a blessing, he gives thanks to God. Because God is the source of their power and strength. But you see, that comes to them not in a vacuum, not amorphously. The strength and power of God comes to his people by his word. Do you see this? We give thanks to God that you received the word of God as exactly that, his word. They didn't just receive the word bare, as it were. There are many who will hear the word of God. There are many who will even hear the word of God and say that it contains wise advice. There are so many who will never darken the door of a church, who have give no thought or concern to the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet on their lips will be various things from the Sermon on the Mount. They'll think these are good principles to live by. There's wisdom found in the Bible. Of course, they believe the Bible is full of errors, but there are certain things that come that are helpful. But Paul says, you didn't take it that way. This is not an advice book. 
This is not the word of men. You received it for what it really is. It's interesting how Paul puts that. You know what it really is. That is, it's the word of God. It's not the word of men. Now this is a very bold claim. Because if we look at the Bible, we have to understand from a human perspective that it was actually written by men. 66 books written over many centuries by dozens of men. And yet, it is qualitatively different from any other book. It has one theme. It has one content. It has one message. It is unified in such a way that even multiple books by the same author cannot hope to be unified. Paul says that you know that David wrote Psalms, but they came from the Holy Spirit. You know that Moses wrote the Pentateuch, but that came from God himself, from the Holy Spirit. He says, you know these writings have come to you from the hands of men, but only as, as the scripture says, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Bible is qualitatively different from any other book. It is the word of God. Now, we can sit here this evening and say that is absolute truth. It has been proven by the church over thousands of years. But one thing that Paul says that makes a difference in the lives of the Thessalonians, what was powerful in turning them from darkness to light, from death to life, giving them power to preach the gospel and bring Jesus to others, is not just that the fact that the Bible is the word of God, but that they received it as the word of God, that they believed it. Now, you may have seen the old bumper sticker that says, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. I hate to tell you that that is abominable theology. God said it, and that settles it. It's not upon us to verify the word of God, but at the same time, by receiving the word of God as what it is, it has power in our lives. The attitude that we have toward the word of God affects its place in our lives. How well we do things is often most affected by our motives. Think about a student in a college class. If a student enters a class and they're just sure they're not going to understand the material, they know they're going to get a failing grade. They know there's no way they can understand this, that the teacher doesn't know what they're talking about. It's a waste of their time. How do you think they're going to do in that class? They're not going to put in the work. They're not going to try to own the material. They're going to be lackadaisical and lazy. And it's going to affect the way they live out that class. Yet those who are eager to understand the material, who think it's important to their life, important to their career, they are able to take that material and absorb it and live it out in their lives. Let me give you another example. Is the most successful athlete the one who has the most physical gifts? The answer is no. It's the athlete who has the work ethic, who understands the sport and wants to study it and learn from it. 
and live out their practice of the sport in accordance with that truth. Understanding how to do things in the proper way. Two of the most successful basketball players ever were Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. And they were known not for their superior jumping or running or any specific skill. What they were known for was for their unrelenting ability to understand the game and to practice. They owned it. They thought about it. They shaped their lives around it. Now, if an athlete can do that with a sport, how can we as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ not do that with his word? We have to trust the word of God, not doubt it. I fear far too often Christians come to the Bible with a skepticism. The Bible doesn't line up with what is happening in the world, doesn't line up with their preconceived notions. And so they're skeptical, and they repeat that line that they don't even know comes from the garden. Did God really say? How often do we see this in our world? Did God really say this about marriage? Did God really say this about sexuality? Did God really say this about truth? And the Bible doesn't affect them. They're not changed by it. But when we are changed by the Scripture when it takes deep root in our hearts and in our life, we trust the scriptures and therefore duty becomes desire. We don't obey God because we feel we must. We obey God because we love him and love to obey him. Because the Bible has taken root in our lives. There's no outward shell that we are trying to project to others. We see that the word of God is what brings about change. Isaiah puts it this way in his 55th chapter. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Do you hear that word and believe it? Does the word of God come in your life and bear fruit? Not because of your skill, not even because of your faith, but because of the word's power. You see, the results are evident. Paul shows this. He says, we thank God constantly that when you receive the word as what it really is, the word of God, that it is at work in you, believers, for you, brothers, imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. He says, the word works. We see it in your lives. You've become imitators of others who have heard the word. You have been born again by, as Peter says, not perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God. It is the word of God that changes people. It is the word of God that builds us up. And the fact that they accepted it as God's word shows, their, shows the work of the word in their lives. You see, they were imitators. They saw the word work in others. 
And they said to themselves, we've got to have this. We've got to follow this Jesus. We've got to live this way. This is what provides the ground for pleasing God. And they weren't just imitators of the churches. You have to understand that they saw the word at work in Paul's life as well. Hence his thanksgiving for them. Paul came and he came with a story. He came with a story of one who was a rebel, who was a murderer, who was an enemy of the church of Jesus Christ. And the word shaped and changed him such that he not only was turned around, but the Lord used him mightily. I think we can say more mightily than anyone else in the New Testament era. And when Paul came to Thessalonica, they might have asked him, what's brought you here, Paul? You're a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin. Why have you come all the way here to Gentile land? Paul would say, because God has made me a servant of Jesus Christ through his word. I've never been the same since that day. Since Jesus spoke to me, I've never been the same. And so if we would seek to know God, we must know his word. That is how we know God. We don't know God apart from his word. One theologian puts it famously that our job as Christians is to think God's thoughts after him. God gives us his thoughts in his word. He gives us his will. And our task is to follow him, to think after him. Power for change. Well, secondly, we see that there's power in trials. And we see this in verses 14 through 16. He says, you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. The irony here is that by accepting the word of God, it caused trials. I often wonder if those who preach a health and wealth gospel have read this passage. Because what Paul says is, you've received the word, you believe the word, and as a result, you're persecuted. You're not rich, you're not healthy, you're not wealthy. You're persecuted because of it. And that's what you should have expected because that's what those before you have experienced as well. And you are actually following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. Who was mocked, who was persecuted, who was ultimately killed. You see, success in life is not to be measured in human terms. If it was, then Paul is a failure. That this church is a complete waste of time. But what we see here is that the word of God generates trials because there are those who reject the word and they're out to displease God. The word of God divides he says that those who displease God and oppose all mankind and who hinder us from speaking to the Gentiles, that they might be saved. We have to expect hostility and resistance when we stand for the word of God. Do not think that challenges you face in 21st century America are because of the American Academy or our political parties or our economy, or other nations in the world. We can expect resistance 
Because we stand for the word of God. Because there are those who do not believe in God, who resist God, who are led by the enemy of your soul, and who seek to displease God and actively keep others from coming to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says it right here. They hinder us from speaking because they don't want the Gentiles to be saved. It can't get any clearer than that. And this is true throughout the history of the scriptures. It was true of Jesus' ministry. It was true of the prophets that they killed. And it was true also of the Apostle Paul. But we can have confidence in our trials, in the word of God, in spite of what the enemy does. Paul reminds the Thessalonians and us that they are filling up the measure of their sins. They are filling up the wrath that is to come upon them. This is the essence of judgment. Those who shut God out from their lives will be shut out by God. This is all of redemptive history from the book of Genesis through the time of Daniel, through the time of the prophets, through the New Testament and in the book of Acts. Evil may seem to triumph for a time, but they are just filling up the bowl of wrath that God has for them. God's word will triumph at last, Paul says in verse 16. Wrath has come upon them at last. And it's interesting that this word at the last is a word that has two meanings. It can mean at the very end, and it can also mean a purpose. It's the finishing of something that is directed. This is the end for which the word of God is designed, to separate out the people of God from rebels. And there is a foretaste of this to come, in the New Testament era, we see this in A.D. 70 when Jerusalem fell and the wrath of God came upon the covenant people of God because they rejected the word of God. They rejected the prophecy of the Christ. They rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ that he preached. And judgment came down upon them. It was wrath inaugurated, just like the kingdom was begun under Christ. So how will we be delivered from this wrath? Interestingly, Paul talks about this just a bit earlier in this letter in verse 10 of chapter 1. He says, we wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Our deliverance comes from the word of God incarnate. And his message of the gospel that he brings to us. Thirdly, thirdly and finally, the word of God has power to build relationships. Paul talks about this in verses 17 through 20. He says, but since we were torn away from you brothers for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you Face to face. Do you see what the word of God has done here? Paul and the Thessalonians have nothing in common. They don't eat the same food. They don't wear the same clothes. They don't have the same customs. They don't have the same history. The only thing that they have in common is the gospel. The word of God. And notice how close 
the gospel made them. Paul uses very strong language. Since we were torn away from you. This word actually means to be orphaned. We've been ripped away from you. If we had our way, we would not leave you, dear people, is what he's saying. He actually says, we're still linked at the heart. We're not with you in person, but we are with you in heart, he says. And we long to see you face to face. How has this happened? It's the work of God and his word. He's brought them together. Now, you don't have to be a Thessalonian to understand this. And I'm certainly not the Apostle Paul. But we have to understand that we are brought together as a people here in Katy by the word of God. We have different backgrounds. We have different likes and dislikes. We have different experiences. But we're brought together for one mission by God's word. And the enemy can't ultimately defeat the purpose of God as he gathers his people. Now, even a short absence is bad, Paul says. But the enemy is no match for God's word. Satan is the great relationship hater. Satan doesn't want relationships to flourish. He doesn't want forgiveness and repentance. He doesn't want repairing of breaches. He wants you to be standoffish. He wants you to gossip. He wants you to point at each other. He wants you to think about everything that divides you. But you see, God has given you that great uniter. His word. His gospel. Remember that Satan is a liar from the beginning. He falsifies the truth. But then also, our Lord calls him a murderer from the beginning. Notice the link. The liar is the murderer. Denying the truth makes you a hateful. Drives a wedge between you and others. Paul reminds us here, in verse 19, that these relationships are crucially important. He says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at His coming? I wonder what the average American evangelical would answer to that. Well, the size of our church. The number of books we've published. The praise that we have in the world. The success we have in our lives. The fruitfulness of our families. Paul says that our hope is you. You, the church of Jesus Christ. The gospel is not about numbers. It's not about obtaining victory. The gospel is about people. People who have been saved from death and condemnation by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is real power. The word does... God's work. And we, brothers and sisters, need to focus on God's will, God's work, and God's kingdom. God is building a people for His Son. And He does that through His Word. So what is our confidence then? It must be in the Word. 
That is why our ministry and our mission is an ordinary means of grace. That we seek to bless Katie and Texas and the world by preaching and teaching and applying the Word of God. Not in fancy programs, not in bright ideas. You see, we must not fall for the latest fad. We must not be discouraged. We have the promise of God that His Word will not return to Him empty. We should long to be the kind of church that Paul would be thankful for. A church that receives the Word of God and lives according to its truth. Let's pray.